No crying. There's no crying in baseball. card counters at the blackjack table. We're going to turn the odds on the casino. What's up, friends? Welcome to episode number 32 of Terrace Talk. As uh, we begin uh, episode one of our first offseason doing the podcast, as the Brewers sadly got eliminated in the NLDS by the Atlanta Braves in four games um, in classic disappointing Brewers postseason fashion, um, the most heartbreaking way possible. Uh, they continue to do this. And now the Brewers see their sixth consecutive uh, playoff berth where they lose to a team that eventually goes to World Series. And, fellas, how are we doing? First, we got to talk about it. We got to get the pain over with. Honestly, I'm still depressed, 100%. I've watched like maybe like two innings of the playoffs, if that. Uh, after the Brewers were eliminated, um, and I'm a pretty big baseball guy, but just brought back just gut wrenching memories. So um, glad to be back on here. I was feeding for some Brewers talk, so uh, should be a fun one for sure. Yeah, I, um, I surprisingly have still watched just about every pitch of uh, the NL and ALCS, even though the Brewers lost. And obviously, we we took some time off. Uh, to kind of regroup ourselves because it was a, a long season. I think for most people, it's, uh, you know, they kind of just really tune in um, during October and the later part of September. But for us, it's truly a, a five, six month every day. We're locked in talking about takes, watching games, you know, doing research and reports and stuff. So it does take a lot out of you. Um, but, you know, all in all, Obviously, we are disappointed uh, with the way the team exited in the postseason just because it was such a historic, and I think that's the right word to describe the regular season with the rotation, um, the way they were trending until kind of the last part of September when they had things locked up. So it's like a historic regular season, obviously a disappointing postseason, but I think we go back to an optimistic offseason now. I think we're back on the up and up and you look at the outlook of this team and we'll get a little bit more into that. Um, but I think I'm back on the optimistic train again. Um, I took my 10 days off uh, to pout and, you know, wonder when it would actually happen for us. But um, I think we're in a good spot. Yeah, I mean, I think you even tweeted it. Um either immediately following game four or the day after, but um, the Brewers are still set up for long-term success here. And it was just another bite at the apple. I mean, you saw it, you're seeing it right now with the Atlanta Braves. Um, you get in the dance and get hot at the right time. 
Um, that's a team that only won 88 games this year and was fighting, um, you know, in the NL East with the Phillies and, um, you know, somewhat the Mets for four months out of the year. Um, barely squeaked by, lost their best player um, early on in the season, and they just got hot, made a, a couple key moves, adding like Rosario, uh, Duvall, Jock Peterson, um, some under the radar moves at the time where we didn't even consider them a primary contender. And all of a sudden they take down the World Series favorite Los Angeles Dodgers um, in six games. It didn't even go seven games. Um, so it's just, you know, getting to the postseason and whatever happens from there, you know, what you take your odds, uh, just get in the dance and see what happens. Yeah, you bring up a good point because I think they had the second worst odds to win the World Series out of the World Series teams and that included all the wild card teams. Um, but that just goes to prove to you that, you know, going into the playoffs, even us, we kind of questioned if we had enough to get by the Dodgers and the Braves beat the Dodgers. So it truly does go back to that comment that Stearns had said, um, which I think now we need to take a little bit more seriously, where it's just like all you have to do is get into the playoffs and anything can happen. The Nationals in 2019, the Braves this year. Um, it really is just about getting hot at the right time and getting those clutch hits when you need them. Obviously, Jack, Jack Peterson is going to haunt um, our night or haunt our dreams for a while, but it's like, he was never really this like huge piece that the Braves acquired at the deadline. He struggled with Chicago this year and uh, he was kind of the guy to step up in the playoffs and, and every team has a guy like that. Um, so, you know, that's why I'm optimistic for next year. Get in, anything can happen. It's kind of crazy that Atlanta kind of revamped their entire outfield um, at the deadline when uh, Ronnie went down. Um, but the acquisitions of like Duvall and Jock and Eddie Rosario, obviously, is the NLCS MVP. So, yeah, I mean, anything can happen. I feel like just it burns a lot this year just because of the high expectations we had and I had for this team. Um, I mean, it's, we're not in the days where we're just happy of getting there now. I mean, we had Ryan Healy hitting four hole for us last year against the Dodgers and the COVID year, which doesn't really count, but still Ryan Healy was our fucking four hitter. And that's just embarrassing. So I don't know, maybe we can screw up a couple more pieces here and make a splash move. Um, I trust in David Stern. So uh, he'll be the leader for us. Jorge Soler is another guy that they got at the deadline too. It's just, uh, I mean, they just made a lot of under the radar moves. So kudos to AA and, and that team for, um, you know, building their, their, their roster to get to the world series. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We can, we can kind of quickly go over, um, you know, how exactly that, you know, the big talking points of that series, uh, obviously um, with emotions running high, uh, there's a lot of uh, drama and uh, chatter about managerial decisions, um, our hitting coach, our hitting philosophy, um, the way arms were used. I guess, and I'll kind of say my two cents on things um, after you guys go, but do you have any general takeaways, uh, you know, to either toward Brewers Twitter or some of the rumbling about Corbin Burns not starting game four and they went back to Charlie Morton. Uh, oh my God, yada, yada, yada. You guys all heard it and saw it and lived it. So I just wanted to hear, um, you know, whatever takes you guys had in general with that series. I guess the 
biggest one that I've come across is when he pulled Freddie. Was that game three? Um, yeah, when they pulled him three. after – was that after three innings, I believe? Um, it was after four innings. Uh, we had guys on – we had a couple guys on base with one out, I believe. Um, second and, and third. Yep, second and third, one out. Some bad base running, but he went to uh, Vogelbach, if I'm not mistaken, yep. in that situation. Pulled Freddie after four. Uh, the Brewers, unfortunately, don't score there um, as Bogey grounded out. Um, and then Low Kane, I believe, you know, hit a liner to Dansby Swanson that he made a nice play on. Um, but, yeah, and that's one, and, and that decision specifically, um, I, even at the time, and I think it's a coin toss, I don't know, you could argue either way. Um, I wasn't mad at the decision, but I did say to myself when it happened, um, I was like, ah, it's just something didn't feel right about it. I was like, ah, I don't know, I would have just let Freddie in, but I totally see both sides of the coin there. Yeah, I think my dad immediately texted me. He's like, "What the fuck is Council doing?" <laughs> and I'm like, "Dude, just chill out. We haven't, we haven't, we just weren't <laughs> scoring runs and having getting the big hits. I mean, Locaine hit right. the ball and screwed right at someone. I mean, it's how baseball goes. But I mean, and Hauser was one of like the best pitchers in baseball the last month of the year, and of course he comes in, gives up a two run homer. Uh, immediately, which makes the the move, you know, in hindsight, look even worse. But it's like, you know, are we even is is this even talked about if if Vogelbach lines a single and Hauser comes in for two shutout innings, which you could have easily seen. No, Craig, Craig Council is on a fucking gold chair. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, exactly. So it's it's one of those things. I mean, you, you won't hear me complaining all too often about uh, managerial decisions like that with Counts. Mm-hmm. And fucking Jack Peterson too, of course. Right. And, and just to add to that, I think a lot of his decisions that he made, I think there's probably a handful that you can really question. I think one that we probably can all agree on and Buss would probably lead the charge here is that I think in that series, Tyrone Taylor needs to get more than two at bats. I think everyone can kind of see that because he was pretty much one of our consistently better hitters and for him only to get two at bats, that was a bit frustrating, but I think in that situation, with the offense struggling a little bit comes down to the fact that you just really have to tip your cap to uh, the play Dansby, Dansby Swanson made on low came, because if he doesn't make that play in the hole where he dives into the hole, um, we probably don't pinch hit there because we have our run across and then you probably let Freddie swing because you have the lead. So um, it's just one of those things where it was a mixture of right process, wrong outcome and the Braves making plays. I think, even the third out in that inning was Colton Wong lining out to Freddie Freeman. Um, so it was kind of yeah. just a snowball effect between us not putting together good ABs. And then when we did have a good AB, it was a line out at someone or a hard hit ball somewhere. So um, the moral yeah. of that story is that's just kind of how baseball goes sometimes. And we picked the wrong series to have the bats not show up. Absolutely. I would love to see baseball. And this is uh, a bigger point. It probably won't even happen, but. It's such a long season. It's 162 um, to have that NLDS only be five games, in my opinion. Like the NBA, you play 82 games. I know it's a lesser regular season, but um, you have 16 teams make it, and every single round is seven games, best of seven. Um, I don't know what it adds a couple more days to the postseason that already goes into November anyhow. It's like – I would like to see that be a seven game series in the, in the DS. 
Yeah. And um, you could probably do it too, where like, you know, it, you, you didn't have to have a travel day every other, you can set it up similar to the way the NLCS is and the ALCS is set up where it's two, three, two. And I mean, that brings up a good point. And that's probably something that'll be talked about in the CBA because not only you talk about the, the DS series, but you also talk about the wild card series this year. And I think um, obviously the, yeah. the Dodgers are, you know, a, a team that won 105 games and they had to play for a one game, essentially play in to get into the playoffs. So it'll be interesting to see if that's something that's included in the new CBA, the structure of the playoff format going forward. Cause I agree. I mean, you talk about t- t- multiple teams that dominated all year that were, um, you know, essentially playing one game plans or like in the Brewers case, they had four days and they were already out of the playoffs. So. Yeah. Yeah. And even the giant or like the Dodgers, um, you know, they won significantly more baseball games than the Braves and they get, they don't get home field advantage and the giants who were the best team in baseball this year, um, losing the way they did, especially in a five game set. Um, I don't know. It just would be nice to, to see those be seven game series in my opinion. Yeah. And I guess that's part of the beauty of this sport. And I think one of my favorite quotes that I ever heard when someone described baseball to me is it's a sport of a lot of variance with a lot of random outcomes, because it's so true that like, you know, just because the team that was the best team in baseball for 162 games, you narrow that down to a three to five day stretch and literally anything could happen. You could play, you could plug a team like Baltimore in a three to five day stretch and they would win a series against San Francisco. Um, so there's a lot of rarity and in, variance in that happens in baseball, which kind of makes it beautiful in a sense. Yeah, yeah, for sure. My, uh, you know, another thing to wrap a bow on this series, I know, like, obviously Josh Hader gives up the, the eighth inning home run to Freddie Freeman, which was a, a backbreaker. Um, you just kind of knew it was over once that happened. Um, and you know, Hader had been so good all season. And of course, you know, he comes into the eighth instead of the ninth, um, gives up that home run. I believe it was with two outs. I could be wrong. Um, but my major takeaway was, um, just how bad Christian Yelich was. (laughs) I know we're going to, we're going to get, we're going to get optimistic here. Um, you know, once we start talking about offseason and he's going to be the center of attention and already has been. Um, you know, in David Stern interviews and, um, you know, when he talks about the outlook of the team next year, but he just seems so overmatched in, you know, the entire postseason. Um, yeah, he would slap a single the other way here and there, like just throw his hands at a ball. Good pieces of hitting, don't get me wrong. Um, but I think his three hits in the postseason were all like singles um, that – you know, couldn't be more than 85 miles per hour off the bat, just kind of lined the other way. Um, and it just sucks because he's, he's should have won an MVP, should have a second MVP. Um, and God, I just want him to start driving the baseball again. Um, I would rather see him have a Joey Gallo S season next year than what he just did for us this year. And his arm is just God awful. And it's going to drive me nuts. And hopefully, you know, if we get a DH, you can, you know, you can hide him in there sometimes. Um, <laughs> but he did throw a guy out. I'll give him credit in game three on a terrible day, base running play by Adam Duvall. Um, he did throw a guy out at second base. Um, but I just felt like there's – was that game four? Um, I don't know. He just – he felt like he was just giving the Braves runs with how poor his arm was. 
didn't even have a shot at times to throw the guys out at home. Yeah. Um, and just additionally to that, it was a very fitting way to end the season with him looking so lost in the last at bat (laughs) three pitches, um, for him to sit down that the way he did, it was just like a fitting way for, for the team to go out. Um, the one thing I will say this, and, and I think me and Hanson were probably really hard on him this year. Um, it's the different thing I think about him than a lot of other superstars, the Manny Machados, those other guys where are that are on the massive contracts. I have yet to see someone maybe as self-disappointed as he was uh, after that series. I mean, for him to kind of be in tears to say like, Hey, I let the team down. I know I got to be better type thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. He cares. He does care. Yeah. It is cool to see that, that like, this isn't like he got his contract and mailed it in and whatever happens, happens type thing. I think um, the emotion of this year um, and just looking at how long of essentially failure he had this year, I hope that really motivates him this off season. Right. I mean, I feel like with Christian, like every time he was up, cause you could feel kind of the pressure on him um, as the season kind of went on. Literally, ever anything you didn't want him to do, if you didn't want him to ground in a double play, he grounded a double play. Do anything but strike out, he'd fucking strike out. I don't know, just like a snowball yeah. effect, it feels like. And I wonder uh, if, and we'll get into this about offseason acquisitions, I wonder if having another consistent big bat in the lineup, whether it's before him or behind him, takes the pressure off him to let him get back to the old way he was. Because I, part of the, the reason I think this year, even though Avi had a good year, there wasn't really another big name in our lineup. We had a lot of good hitters, and I know Adamas had a really good year. But there wasn't that other, like, yeah. big name hitter that you could just consistently rely on. So I wonder if we go out and get a Nick Castellanos or something like that, if that helps take a little bit of pressure off him. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. And then I guess one more thing, um, and then we can start talking about off season and hitting coaches and all the good stuff. Uh, but uh, Corbin Burns is a certified fucking stud. Um, and he was a little dicey in that first game, um, but I did want to give him a shout out. Uh, not first game, excuse me, first inning. Um, had a pretty uh, lucky double play to get out of that first. Uh, but then that dude cruised, uh, tossed six shutout innings. I think he had nine strikeouts um, against that Braves offense that, you see now is pretty lethal um, the way they're going to the World Series. Uh, the Brewers' lone postseason win makes sense. Um, hopefully, uh, uh, Cy Young will be on his mantle here in a couple of weeks as well. Uh, but shout out Corbin Burns. We have a, a bona fide ace. Um, and I think he's overtaken Woody as opening day starter next year. We can have that conversation many times over the offseason, but I think he is the guy now. Yeah, I mean, well, I, takes on that. I guess it depends if Brandon Woodruff's on the team next year. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, you, you've already been cooking up a couple of deals with him involved. Trying uh, to woodshed. <laughs> Dude, uh, I, I love Woody, and uh, obviously I hope that they keep those three together. Um, but, yeah, I think this is Corbin's rotation now. I think if, if it wouldn't be, Woodruff would have started game one of the playoffs. I think Corbin starting game one kind of shows. And, and Woodruff's such like a low-key guy that I don't think it really bothers him all that much. Um, but, yeah, yeah this is it, Corbin's definitely the ace of this rotation. And, sorry, he only had six strikeouts, not nine in that game. But either way, six scoreless innings. 
uh, only allowed two hits as well. So, um, yeah, man, he's awesome. Um, and also uh, on the Woodruff topic, shout out him uh, for coming back. I mean, that would have been a much bigger story if the Brewers had won. Uh, but for him to come in and throw two scoreless innings on one day rest, two day rest, it was yeah. short. Yeah. Two. Um, he looked yeah. dominant too. He wasn't giving up any hard contact. He was busting so <laughs> many hands, getting so many strikeouts. There wasn't a single ball put in play off him in those two innings where it felt like, oh, you know, that guy had a good swing on him. Yeah, that that's the that's the other question that I got um, was why we went to Ashby and not to Woody. Like we didn't flip flop them, you know. Yeah, and honestly, I don't even remember the specifics like who was up in the order of, you know, it's when you lose those games like that, you just kind of forget about some things as you try to erase it from your memory. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think there's some some noise on Twitter about that as well. Um, going to the rookie Ashby in that situation, who didn't really fare all that well um, in the postseason, but also, uh, you know, first time there, getting his feet wet, uh, mm-hmm. will be a big part of the squad next year. So it was good to at least get him some experience um, at the very least. Cool. Well, uh, that's kind of the the bow wrapped on the 2021 Brewers. Uh, you know, Mitch Buss already changed our group chat to 2022 World Series champions. So um, we can kind of uh, we kind of start talking about that. So first order of business, um, I guess we could talk about Andy Haynes real quick and some of the coaching staff changes. Um, yeah, he got canned or not canned. Um, excuse me. His contract wasn't renewed. Um, that was seemed to me like that was a 99% chance that that was going to happen with the uproar um, of people and just an easy scapegoat. And that's exactly all that I see it as. Um, but I guess we'll see. They haven't hired a new one yet. Uh, do you have any, any takes on this? I think people know where I stand on the hitting coach. I don't think it matters at all. Um, but, you know, we might see a new approach. Bus, like you got any takes on that? hitting coaches I feel like are so expendable like their like shelf life is like a year and a half per team and they just kind of get shuffled around um to just different... like oh your team's on a somewhat extended cold streak let's let's fire the hitting coach and get things shaken up in here <laughs> right like i feel uh, like each guy like individual guy has their has like their routine and like kind of what got them to the big leagues yeah um, and not some dude who's going to be like all right you got to do this but I don't know. Maybe it's breaking down tape and just identifying what they're doing wrong. And Andy wasn't able to do that. I don't, I, I guess I don't really know. I don't, I don't know any hitting coaches. So. Right. Right. And like, and he was like Yelich's guy. Right. I mean, that sound like he was around when Yelich was winning MVPs and coming runner up in MVPs and um, you know, whatever it's, it's a giant, whatever from me. Um, maybe a new voice helps him out. Maybe we get the next big guy for hitting coaches. I don't know, but Mitch Al, what do you got? <laughs> yeah, no, I, um, I was just doing a little digging on Twitter um, to see what Sarah Goodrum was up to the hitting director for us, the minor league hitting director. Cause I know how well liked she is within the organization and with, as, with as, as, as analytical as we are, uh, it feels like an internal hire, maybe the route that we go. Um, so it'll be interesting to see, cause I know that the minor leaguers absolutely raved about her Garrett Mitchell, all those guys were talking about how awesome she is. So, um, I think that would be kind of cool to see if, 
you know, if she's a realistic candidate for, for the job. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm in complete alignment with you, Hanson, uh, where it's just, it really is a scapegoat move. Um, I don't think hitting coaches other than like, you know, mentioning minor tweaks or things they're seeing here and there really play all that large of a role. Um, so yeah, I think it was just something they had to do because of how bad the offense has been, but I don't know if it really changes much. Yeah, and then there's uh, David Stearns, who has, you know, this. we do this every September, October, really, uh, November. Um, rumor for the Mets job, um, there's a handful of, you know, writers out there that have been fiending for David Stearns to even talk to the Mets. Um, however, uh, Mark Insanasio didn't allow it to happen. Um, for some reason, stirred some folks up on Brewers Twitter, like, calling like Antanasio unprofessional and like yada, yada, yada. And um, Mitchell, I'll let you take the floor on this. Cause I think you had a, a good response to um, those people. And then I guess your, your take on the yearly David Stearns saga. Yeah. And a little bit of rant here, but um, yeah, I saw a lot of people going after Mark Antanasio calling him a coward and all these different things. And you know, taking a couple steps back, I truly think, and from what we see, the lens that we see it, the Antanasio family seems like a very down-to-earth family. Um, his kids are very involved with Christian Yelich and Ryan Braun, and they're always hanging out and they're friends. And Mark seems to always be super vocal and happy and pretty much, you know, voices how much trust he has in the organization being ran by Stearns and company. To the point that makes me believe that they've been working together now for what? five years, six years, David started in one 2016. Yeah. Yep. How many people do you know that work in a professional setting that have the same boss for five years, don't have some sort of personal friendship with that person? Right. Right. No, not, not many. Right. So if you're asking me, there is no chance that Mark Antanasio would have said to David, Hey, just so you know, this may be your dream job. You may be going, you could be going home back by your family, but there's no chance I'm going to let you take that. There is no way Mark told him that. And I know the, the official announcement was that Mark blocked it, but I will bet any dollar amount that Mark and David had a conversation about where David sees himself in the future. And if David's like, yep, I don't want to leave here. Like, like he said in uh, the article that uh, Journal Sentinel posted, you know, Milwaukee's become my home. My family loves it here. Mark's like, okay, you know, you have any chance to take it if you want. If not, I'll decline it. And David was probably like, nope, I'm good here. This, you know, we have work to do here. And Mark's like, okay, I'll block it. I would bet any dollar amount that that was the conversation that took place. Yeah. And I feel like, I mean, in the five, six years that David's been here, he's built a fucking empire, dude. He wants to win. He wants to win one, you know, like why you built this organization up and, um, have us in position to win a world series. Why would you just be like, no, let's go, let's go to New York. Yeah. You know? It seems like a very quiet person too. That like, why would I, why would he want to go to an owner that airs all their dirty laundry on Twitter? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, you know, I'll echo what you said. Um, I think a lot of people, you know, the, the coastal elites out there would be like, just view that job as just automatically being better because it's Milwaukee to New York. Um, but once you start peeling, you know, looking behind the curtain, it, 
there's <laughs> I don't see a whole lot of upside of going to New York other than him coming there, like break, turning Mets into like a powerhouse and, you know, becoming like the one of the best GMs of all time. Um, but I think, like you said, he's he's worked so hard in these five, six years with Milwaukee to get them where they're at that, you know, he has a young family. Um, he's already president of baseball operations. Um, and I don't think they they post like those type of uh, like executive salaries. I could be wrong, um, but who, Mark Antanasio might, might also just be paying him a, a shitload of money for his position that he's in. Um, no one really knows the, the dynamic behind that either. So just to assume that Antanasio is like has some bad blood and like, no, you're going to play out your contract with us. Like is just seems kind of short-sighted. Like there's, <laughs> it's, uh, I don't know why anyone would assume that that would be the case right off the bat without knowing the, the information. Right. Yeah. It's classic people just jumping to conclusions without knowing the full story. And Yeah. Yeah, there's no, there's just no way they have like a bad relationship when he's when he's when they're dealing with like tens of millions of dollars on a yearly basis, you know. Right, and if 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 David truly wanted that Mets job and Mark blocked it, like Mark's just setting the team up for failure, right? Because David's just going to play out the remainder of his contract. He's going to lose motivation to keep making this team better and better, and then he's just going to walk at the end of his contract anyway. So there's just there's so many signs that point to that's not being the case as to like what's going on with the relationship. So it's just frustrating to see, you know, fans pointing to that direction. Yeah. There's honestly a lot of like smart people on Twitter that know a lot about the game and players and the organization. Um, it's just, uh, just people trying to get mad at like the, the littlest of things. It just bothers me, <laughs> but, uh, but I'm going to go here. Um, cool. And this will probably go into the second half of the pod too. Um, but, uh, there's, there's some immediate Josh Hader noise following the, uh, the end of the Brewer season. Um, you know, it's looking like he's going to get a higher price tag in arbitration at $10 million next year. Um, and a trade kind of seems imminent now. Um, and I honestly don't have the story pulled up. Um, Mitchell, I don't know if you can help me out here, uh, but was there something, um, that some drama with Hader and his agent with the Brewers uh, as far as him, you know, being an only a ninth inning guy and him not making as much an arm because of the way that they were using him uh, before the last two years. And that's kind of what created this bad blood amongst the Brewers taking him to arm. Yeah, Rob Murray actually was the guy wrote a fan site article that talked about just the offseason and some interesting notes. And there was, a, of course, of course, an unnamed source uh, within the Brewers organization that basically said uh, after the ARB process last year, because uh, it's pretty rare when teams are multiple million dollars off on an ARB settlement. And that's what happened last year. I think Hader had asked for seven million or something like that and the brewers were at like three and a half or four they ultimately settled at like five ish um but they said pretty much from that point forward that that relationship kind of had a little bit of um uncertainty there and there were rumors circling that to essentially um 
diminish or hold haters value was the one of the reasons why they just wanted to make him a one inning closer. Um, obviously that's an unnamed source and that may not be true. Um, but it's just interesting because you saw the success that Josh had in that multiple inning role um, for them to change and go away from that. I thought was pretty interesting. So all in all, Josh is still going to get uh, a really good ARB settlement this year. Like the projections are saying $10 million. And I think there's a greater discussion to be had there, which I think has a lot of substance to it is the way the Brewers develop cheap relievers and can find cheap relievers. Do you now look, and I think all of us probably agree that you flip Josh for a legit impact bat that we're seemingly desperate for um, because you can find relievers in one. You don't want to pay Josh 10 million, even though he's definitely worth it. Just always a problem when you're in a small market. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it seems likely. Uh, I don't know what would you put the odds at, like a sixty-five percent chance that he's he's dealt this offseason, or even higher than that. Yeah, I mean, the two that I keep going back to, and I I don't, I think Woodruff's obviously a lot more of a long shot. It's Woodruff and Hader are both going to get ten million plus in arbitration. Um, so I just feel like one of them's going to go, and I think Josh is the easier one to move. Yeah, and uh, and we can talk about potential uh, fits here in a moment. I'm just pulling up my list here. So, um, you know, typically if you're trading for the best reliever in baseball, you're probably in win-now mode. Um, and it, it seems as if Josh Hader would like to go to a contender anyhow. Um, so I kind of compiled a list here, and uh, you guys – you know, uh, chime in where you see fit of potential fits for a hater trade and what we would receive back potentially. Um, and I kind of just ran down the list. Um, so the Tampa Bay Rays, I said, probably not. Um, they, you know, I don't think they're the team that's going to spend $10 million on a reliever with how they do things. The Yankees, um, and then you guys, like I said, chime in whenever, but I don't see a fit of MLB talent there. I swear to God, if Yankee fans start throwing out the Clint Frazier and Miguel and Duhar scenarios, I'm driving to New York and slapping them all in the face. <laughs> I saw you and John Christensen tweeting about that. Yeah, I, that's hilarious. Or, Clint, yeah, did you say Clint Frazier too? Yeah, yeah, Clint Frazier. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's been the trade for the last like four years. And every single year, the value of that trade for the Yankees just or for us on the returning end just gets lower and lower and lower. <laughs> <laughs> so thankfully, we've never done something like that. Um, and then here's one that might make sense. So the Toronto Blue Jays and Teoscar Hernandez as a team that needs pitching help and especially the bullpen. Um, ready to contend. They already score a shit ton of runs. Um, and I think Teoscar, uh, if I'm not mistaken, will be making a very similar, if not identical salary to Josh Hader around $10 million. Um, and it just seems like a natural trade that immediately benefits both playoff contending teams. I guess, what are you guys' uh, initial thoughts? Um, boss, I'll go to you first and then we'll take a quick break and uh, go to the second half. Yeah. I mean, that, 
when we kind of originally first started talking about that and you threw out his name, he was on my shout out my fantasy squad. Uh, he was on my team this year and it's kind of a dude that the Brewers would go after controllable. Um, he's 29 years old. So still fairly young. Um, he's got some thunder in his bat. And that's one thing our lineup is severely lacking is um, that guy that's getting hit bombs, um, especially with um, Christian not performing um, Kesson here as well. But I mean, I'm all for that move. I think it would, do you think it would take a little bit more? Do you have any other guys from <clears throat> Toronto that you'd have on like the return on that? I mean, I'm just, so you're asking if uh, the Blue Jays would add another piece with Tioscar to make that even? Is that the question? Yeah. Or do you have anybody like in mind? Um, it'd probably be like a minor I, player, I'm guessing. I honestly didn't. I think if anything, and I could be wrong, I think that we might need to sweeten up that deal just a tad. I mean, I'm on uh, just a quick baseball reference search right now, and um, granted, this was a career year for Tioscar, so this is where I think it's uh, kind of a dead even trade. Um, he had a four war um, compared to Josh's 3.4, um, and Josh Hader has a longer track record of being um, elite opposed to Tioscar. I mean, Hernandez had 32 home runs um, and a 296 average with a 133 OPS plus. Um, so I don't know, I guess, uh, Mitch L what is, uh, what's your take? Is that kind of a one for one deal or, uh, what, what are your thoughts there? Yeah. So this was actually the first trade that I think I had pr- proposed to our group for a uh, viable suitor for uh hater. And I actually think my original proposal and bus close your ears. Um, mm-hmm. it was Tyrone Taylor and Josh hater for, uh, T Oscar. Yeah. And I think you talked about his track record, although in 2020, I know it was a short year. He had a really good year last year. Uh, I think he's just kind of one of those late blooming guys. Um, but like you said, this just ultimately makes, it feels like it makes the most sense um, in terms of out of the teams. And I know we have other scenarios we'll go through, but like from an ARB perspective, it's a equal swap. And then you give them Taylor um, for their outfield depth. Uh but like you said, I think that team can afford to give up some of their thump um, just looking at their current depth chart and their bullpen and, you know, them not really having a certified stud in the back end of the pen. So, Yeah, I mean, that's an, an automatic difference maker. <clears throat> You're looking at an outfield of Christian Yelich, um, Teoscar Hernandez, and then if we give up Tyrone Taylor, I mean, the, the combination of like Kane and JBJ in the outfield, uh, with the likes of, you know, Joey Weimer, um, Garrett Mitchell, Sal Freelick in the, the abyss, just waiting for one of those guys to go down. Or if we don't, you know, whatever, if we trade JBJ, we start one of the young guys, you name it, the Brewers don't lack outfield depth. So that wouldn't be a problem, you know, flipping T-Rat like that. Chase Peterson uh, too. Chase Peterson can play the outfield. Yep, yep exactly. Uh, but that just adds uh, what – a guy that would have been by far and away our most lethal bat, just like that, um, probably in the three hole. So it would be, it would be a pretty cool flipping hater for T Oscar Hernandez, in my opinion. <clears throat> cool. Um, we can go down to the next one on the list. And this is where we're going to get a little nuts, actually. Uh, the Houston Astros proposal um, where <laughs> Mitch L had a, 
had a blockbuster idea. Um, so I don't know if you, you can take the reins on your thought process here. Yeah. And I wasn't even 12 Vizzies deep at this point, just getting these hypotheticals, especially when you start talking blockbuster deals, they just get me all fired up. So um, obviously this would be a massive deal and it would take probably uh, a lot. And I think a lot of fans would probably be initially upset by it, but the, the theme as to how we were looking to improve this off season was um, how do we acquire an impact bat? And I think it's safe to say outside of maybe a guy that would be willing to take a shorter deal in free agency, um, the, the Chris Bryant's, the Corey Seegers, even though the Brewers have been some, some people are saying the Brewers are going to be linked to Chris Bryant. I don't see us giving another $200 million contract this offseason to one of the big free agents. So then you turn to how do you, how do you, how else do you get an impact bat? And that's to acquire one. Okay. So Houston is, you'll watch them tomorrow night, has seven hitters that all have above a 900 OPS. Their offense is absolutely stacked. Um, but you'll notice that their pitching is, is pretty weak. Um, all things considered, their best pitcher just can't stay healthy. He's not even going to pitch in the World Series. So my proposal was Josh Hader and Brandon Woodruff for Kyle Tucker. Kyle Tucker is uh, the Astros right fielder who's had a pretty much a 900 OPS his entire MLB career. He has four years of control. Um, obviously, that would be a, a, a huge give up in terms of what the Burrs are giving up. They're giving up one of their three big rotation pieces and then and obviously Hader. Um, but Kyle Tucker is one of the future best all or best outfielders in baseball. Um, dude just absolutely rakes. Uh, for those of you that aren't watching the Astros, you'll see it uh, this week. Um, I think that's a move that when we were talking this last year or during the deadline with the Brewers offering uh, a significant offer for Brian Reynolds, that's in that same category. So um, I think if there's one area you can give up, it's your, it's your rotation. And, and obviously I don't want to give up Woodruff. I love him and I want him to be a brewer, honestly, forever. But if giving up Woodruff means you can get that bat for four or five years and you still have a rotation of Corbin Burns, Freddie Peralta, Adrian Hauser, Aaron Ashby, Ethan Small, and then you can go out and I think in my proposal, yeah, yeah, Eric Lauer. And I think even in my proposal, I'm like, okay, if you trade for Kyle Tucker and, and clear the 20 million in our money, you can go out and sign a Marcus Stroman or something like that. So it just seems like if they were to flip a pitcher, um, a, a hitter like Kyle Tucker would be awesome. Yeah, that, that uh, like you said, I think that would initially just like rattle the cages of, of a ton of the casual and even fans like us. Uh, just, you know, you grow that emotional attachment to someone that you consistently watch for 162 days consistently every year. Um, but I, yeah, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, and right when you said it, even I was shocked, like oh, Brandon Woodruff, like, ah, man, that's our guy. Uh, but the more you talk about it, the more it's just like, okay, like this is another case of two contenders um, filling each other's needs essentially. And both benefiting from this trade, these fake trade proposals that we'll be doing throughout the off season for fun. I know everyone loves tri fake trades. So if you were David Stearns, both of your guys, because I know I'm the leader of this hypothetical trade. That's pretty obnoxious. If you're David Stearns and the Astros come calling and say, Hey, we'll give you Kyle Tucker for Brandon Woodruff and Josh Hader. What are you guys saying? 
I think I'm insta taking that. Even though like I'd say like 75% of like the general like fan population, brewer population would be like, who the fuck's Kyle Tucker? You know, he's not kind of like one of those household names that yeah. the baseball guys are like salivating over. You know, it's not like a God, I don't even know. My mind's so blank, like Vladdy or Carlos Correa type guys. Um, they would just be kind of shocked. I mean, they wouldn't really know who he is. Yeah, he's not swaggy. He doesn't wear batting gloves. Uh, dude just hits tanks and gets on base. I mean, I think he had 37 homers this year, uh, if I'm if I'm not mistaken. He definitely was in the 30s. Um, obviously, we'd take Jordan, too, like in this hypothetical so, situation. If the thing is, I, think, him. I think I would need another piece and, like, not just to throw in, like, another two-win piece. Um, I know we would be shedding the salary, and that's another benefit of being a tad lopsided. But if you're just comparing wins above replacement, Woodruff and Tucker have the exact same, and then you toss on Hayter on that. Um, I know it's, you know, that's not how you measure trades, you know, altogether. Um, but if you could pair it up with, you know, I'd have to look at the Astros roster, um, but another two win player, whether it's like one of their arms, like do you have a, like Jose or Kitty or a decent bullpen arm? I don't know. Um, I think I would want one more relatively solid second piece in that hypothetical. Yeah. I mean, you also have to look at it too, from the standpoint is you're getting an extra year of Kyle Tucker compared to haters two years and three. So it's Tucker for four too. So I think that. No, that's true. That's true. And that's why you can't just do what I just did. Uh, <laughs> but it was just a, uh, just a thought. No, that's fair. That's, I mean, that, that is, or a, even if it is a prospect, I, you know, just something attached with Tucker would make me feel better about it. <laughs> and I'm trying to think through my head, like how many trades like that happen in the off season. And you can probably count on one hand uh, through the history of baseball, but it just feels like if we are to acquire that bat. It's going to have to be through trade and we let's get nuts with it. I think I think GM should be willing to do this more often where it's just like, you know, two strengths, two contenders, just like swapping guys. Cause it, it always seems to be the you buy for one or half a season, maybe one and a half, two and a half years of a guy for prospects. That's like what you know, I don't know. The the GM handbook has always said that for whatever reason. Um, I would like to see more of these trades, like you said. It would be, make things more fun. Um, I think it would make the league more interesting, honestly, if more things like this happen more consistently. Yeah, you just like you said, nowadays you just have a bunch of teams that aren't competitive dumping their good guys for prospects, and then you just have this huge gap in the major leagues between competitive teams and non-competitive teams. Okay, let's start trading MLB talent for MLB talent, um, yeah. especially with the the – unknown of prospects you look at the christian yellow trade things like that like teams are going to get a lot more scared to give up players like that because it just goes to show even if you think you have a top 20 prospect uh when they get to the majors they may be huge buzz so yeah and david stearns he's he's kind of creeped into that i mean the the trade with the padres that was all major league talent really um it was young major league talent but it was swapped um in the trent grisham Davies, uh, Lauer, Urias deal that we indeed won. That we won. (laughs) I think we had to throw that in there. Um, and then he kind of did it with the Marlins. I mean, it was the, you know, or not Marlins, the Rays, 
Um, that was one of those things where it was major league ready talent swap for each other mid-year for teams competing. Um, so maybe you're on to something. Talk. He may listen to Terrace talk. <laughs> yeah, and he has that connection with the Astros already. All right, so the next uh, theoretical trade team match was the Seattle Mariners. Um, and initially, when I did a, a quick rundown of the roster, I didn't quite see a fit. I just don't see them giving up Jared Kelenic or uh, Julio Rodriguez. Uh, they don't really have a corner impact bat. I think Kyle Seeger is a free agent. Um, and then Mitch responded with an interesting proposition um, of a Kyle Lewis-led package. Um, I don't know if you want to give more background on that or what, what your potential thought process would be there. Yeah. So, uh, which, well, I mean, I think Jared Kellnick would obviously be the preferred uh, candidate that we get back. Um, but the Mariners are kind of this team that I feel like was similar to us a couple of years ago where they have become competitive earlier than expected. Um, and you look at their outfield of Mitch Hanniger, uh, Jared Kellnick, Kyle Lewis and uh, Rodriguez is their other top prospect that'll be in their outfield probably next year. Um, so Kyle Lewis just kind of made the most sense. Um, he's more of, he's not too much of a power guy. He's more of just like an all around awesome center fielder. He broke his wrist this year, um, but he's a young controllable outfielder uh, that I feel like you can put, um, you know, probably in the two spot. Um but he was just kind of another candidate that that kind of made sense in terms of young, controllable talent that you could get back uh, for Hater. Yeah, and like you said, um, was hurt for most of this year. I mean, he only had 130 at bats. Um, was decent in those at bats, but he, uh, I don't know if people forgot, but he did win Rookie of the Year in that shortened season, um, and was was really good. Um, so. Yeah, that was an interesting uh, proposition that you had there um, and definitely could be the center fielder. You know, if that trade did happen, um, we'll probably be the Brewer center fielder for the next five or six years, which is a valuable piece, especially if they're performing at um, what he did in 2020 even. Um, cool. And then we can go on to the next one here. Um, so this was uh, this is one of my favorite ones, and this would also require – um, a bigger package than just Josh Hader, uh, but the Oakland Athletics uh, and Matt Olson. Um, so you could start this one with Josh Hader and Tyrone Taylor, um, add in a prospect, maybe like Bryce Terrain, um, something like that. I don't know, just, just throwing out ideas out there um, and add someone like Matt Olson. I do that a hundred times out of a hundred. Um, what are your guys' thoughts on a potential bigger deal with Matt Olson, just getting that big old swamp donkey, like Buss has said, get him at first base. That guy would hit 45 home runs at AmFam. He hit 39 home runs this year in Oakland um, with a 271 batting average, 153 OPS plus. Um, obviously would require a bigger package to get someone like this, but uh, would be pretty awesome in our lineup. Yeah, the A's are kind of falling apart too. I mean, I shouldn't say falling apart, but they have a lot of pieces that are going to be free agents um, this yeah. year. So I don't really – I feel like this is their last year to kind of go for it, um, and they tried to, but obviously they fell short. Um, this is probably my favorite one too. Um, just that – like like you said, Swamp Donkey first baseman. It's going to be in there every day and hits fucking bombs. So, And like I'm you said, I think uh, – 
and to your point, um, this could be a team that is might punt on trying to contend again um, would be the only issue with them potentially doing a deal like this. Cause why trade for a reliever um, when they don't really pay guys like that anyhow. Uh, so it, it seems kind of like a pipe dream just because of them being Oakland, but uh, it is a dream of mine. <laughs> so maybe the answer is, is maybe Matt Olson's still our guy, but it's a prospect oriented deal instead of uh-huh. uh, Josh Hader. And then you just use Hader elsewhere. Um, oh, you will, oh, let's get real crazy. Let's get, <laughs> let's get nuts. Let's get nuts. And Matt Olson. Yeah, that's, that's not a bad point. I mean, what you could pair like, and this, this is probably a topic that we'll probably end the pod with, but uh, Joey Weimer might be a top 30 prospect by the end of the Arizona fall league this year <laughs> with the, the way he's raking and obviously could be a valuable brewer in the future. He also could be a valuable trade piece for us. So um, yeah, that's a really good point by you actually. And we, it feels like we have a lot of those, um, you know, we, we got our two young outfielders that we talked about. Um, it, it's interesting. The the one guy I feel like if we are to make a big move uh, um, this offseason, it feels like Ashby is going to have to be that piece. Um, so I, I guess what's your guys' take? Is Ashby untouchable to you guys? Um, are you moving Ashby? Um, if Ashby gets me a player like Matt Olson or Kyle Tucker, um, you know, that tier even above like Teoscar Hernandez, I, I I probably won't even be that upset if it was for Teoscar, but I would prefer it to be in that Matt Olson, Kyle Tucker tier if we're giving an Aaron Ashby package away. Um, but yeah, that's kind of what my take. If I mean, what what's the full package? If it's Ashby center package, like Ashby Terang, Freelick for Olson, I do that. Right. And that's kind of what I was thinking too, because I feel like that was probably along the lines of what we offered for Brian Reynolds. Um, it had to be. Uh, so I, I, I think so too. Um, but then again, you talk about, you know, are the Brewers willing to go pay what our top two guys are going to get in arbitration? Or do you just view it Ashby as kind of the supplement to that because he's pre-arb and he's so going to be so much cheaper. There's a lot of conversations to be had there. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if we ever, like, I don't know if I'm going to word this correctly. Like, if we're just going to consistently just, like, try to get that bite at the apple, or is are we ever going to go full-blown chips on the table, all in, let's get a World Series ring? Um, you know, I, I see both sides of the approaches, but I I personally would love to see – while we have Corbin Burdens and Brandon Woodruff, if we can acquire, uh, like, for example, when we were talking about Jose Ramirez packages, like those type of guys, I don't care who the prospect is. Like you go and get that six win player. <laughs> oh, yeah. if, if the other teams, you know, putting them for sale and they don't cost a gazillion dollars yet, like Matt Olson and Jose Ramirez, like, in my opinion, those are, those are like, season changing guys where you can go and win that ring that year. Boss, what about you? Would you give up a Ashby led package for Matt Olson deal? Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, Stearns has never like done something like this. And I feel like he's just waiting for the right time. 
to kind of push everything into the middle. And I don't think he'd be done at just that too. Like if he's going to, if he's going to push all his chips into the middle, he's going to go get another arm or something too. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've always been, you know, killing people with depth, but um, I, you, I think you need some of those top end guys. Um, and we thought we had that with Yelich and we still might in the future. Um, but even just like, even if Yelich was at the top of his game, just getting that one, more, like I, I understand and I'm the biggest Willie fan there is, um, but there's a next level bat beyond the, the Willie Adamases that could take this offense to a whole different stratosphere. hundred percent. I mean, it's just tough with baseball. I mean, look at the Dodgers. They won like what? 103 games. Yeah. Didn't even didn't even win the West and they didn't make it to the World Series with probably yeah, yeah. the, the best offensive lineup top to bottom that we've probably ever seen. Yeah, and that's the bite of the Apple argument. Like maybe Stearns will just be the king and it, it might piss a lot of fans off that will get like, oh, we you know, we're not just happy making the playoffs this year. We need a ring. But it's like, I don't know, there's something there's something also like say Stearns is the GM for the next 15 years. We make the playoffs 10 times. Like you, you think if you get in that many times, one of those times you're <laughs> going to break through and get hot at the right time. I mean, put it, put it this way. Look at the Braves lineup that they had in the playoffs, not including Ronnie, Ronnie, and look at our current lineup and say Yelich goes back to not 2018, 2019 Yelich, but goes back to a – well above average hitter, whose lineup are you taking? The Braves or ours? I think at that point it's a it's a toss-up, right? And that's my point is, yeah. you know, we, we keep talking over and over about us needing an impact bat, and I still think we do, and we, we, we should be on the look for one and, and do what it takes to acquire one. But that just goes back to the fight at the apple point that just goes to show, like, you look at the Braves' current lineup compared to some of the other teams that are made it to the playoffs, and those other teams are significantly better than the way the Braves' roster is currently constructed with their injuries and stuff. So that just goes to show it's just all about getting hot at the right time, getting those key hits in the right moments and things yeah. like that. Yeah, I, uh, I agree. Um, cool. We can go on to the next few. Um, and I think we've gone through our – our favorites at this point, and they're all AL teams. Once you go to the NL, I didn't find as many fits, um, not because I necessarily care about trading to rivals or division rivals. Um, I just didn't really see many natural fits. Uh, you know, the White Sox, I said, probably not. They're already going to pay Kimbrell. They already have Liam Hendricks. They're not going to spend that much money in their bullpen. Tigers, I don't think they're there yet. Um, you know, if we do keep Josh Hader, uh, and you know, the Tigers are contending next year, who, who knows, maybe there's something in, that could be done there, but, um, and stop me if you feel differently on, on these right now, um, Cardinals, I didn't really see a natural fit and I don't really, you know, the arch rival, I feel like, I, I feel like trading within those teams is kind of, you know, unwritten baseball rule. I don't necessarily care about, but, um, you know, what? Are they going to give us Tyler O'Neill for Josh Hader? I'm in, though. I'm in. Yeah. <laughs> All right, right, right. Like, we would be in for that, but I don't think that's something that they would do. Right. Um, although their fans were pretty fed up with uh, 
with like Alex Reyes and the way that, you know, their season ended. Yeah, their bullpen, I mean, they have a lot of decent arms in their pen, but they don't have an elite reliever anymore. Yeah, and Tyler O'Neill, I mean, I just give a quick shout out to him because his baseball, uh, his reference page is pretty nuts right now. He put up 6.3 wins above replacement this year, uh, 34 home runs, 15 stolen bags, and 150 OPS plus. Um, so yeah, I don't think uh, I don't think he's quite the match for a hater deal. Um, he's probably a, in a class above. Uh, although he's only done it for one year, but he's he's still only 26 years old, so he's a stud. Um, Braves, I didn't necessarily see a player match there. Um, obviously, Acuna not going to happen. Um, all their other outfielders are like expiring or doesn't really match up. Freddie Freeman's a free agent, right? Yep. Um, so they don't even have him to potentially deal, yada, yada, yada. Mets, I didn't see a fit here either. Um, already paying Edwin Diaz. Also didn't really see a, a roster fit there. Uh, Philly, so this is an interesting one. Um, a Reese Hoskins package. Um, so let me that did we know how we did this year? Was it pretty solid or no? Yeah, uh, it was still well above average, uh, injured down the stretch, but so I got his numbers pulled up. Um, he posted a 2.1 B war, he had 27 home runs, um, which would have been like third on the Brewers, something like that. Um, he only hit 247, uh, 334 OBP, OPS plus um 129 he's 28 year old i think this would be a, a hoskins plus deal um but it's a it's a thing where they need a reliever uh, a dominant ace reliever um and we need a, a power hitting first baseman so it's a potential fit i'll give the floor to you guys do you have any thoughts on it's on this it's not as sexy as the other ones I had a surprisingly good season. Like I just pulled up his numbers as well. I didn't think he hit 27 bombs kind of quietly. I mean, I guess he's kind of overshadowed by Bryce Harper. Um, and he, uh, and he was hurt for a little bit here. Cause he only had 389 at bats. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So like in a normal he's pretty consistent too. You look at his last couple of years and he's been pretty similar to the 30 home run range every year. Um, right. He's going to be two fit, like right. Hovering around 250 batting average with 30 home runs, which is, is a valuable spot, you know? Yeah. I think, um, that's probably pretty close to a fair one-to-one. Maybe we get another player. Um, but you look at, cause like the years line up to it's two years of Hoskins for two years of hater. Um, it's just so hard to compare because you think of, track record of other relievers that have gotten traded and it seems like all of the big name relievers that have gotten traded are for prospects with multiple yeah. years of control so it's hard to like find a basis for what hater brings back in terms of mlb talent yeah then i saw you know the dodgers uh something i don't really see happening um i know kenley is uh Kenley's a free agent, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Um, so maybe that's, I mean, maybe that's something that they're an embarrassment of riches. They have the money. So maybe there is something you can pull off, I guess, in a potential Dodgers trade. Who would you even look for returning in that 
and we didn't talk about this before. So if you don't even have an answer, that's fine. I didn't necessarily see a, a fit. Cause when I look at these teams, I look at, you know, their contracts, what they have at first and third, first base and outfield, really. Um, I kind of have Luis slotted in as our third baseman right now. Um, and I just didn't really see a natural fit there. Dodgers have so many guys that they have to sign. I think they have like nine or 10 guys that are key pieces that they have to sign. Um, so it's like, it would have to be the way the roster is currently constructed. It would have to be a prospect because like AJ Pollock is the only outfielder other than Cody Bellinger, who's a free agent next year, but they ain't given us Cody Bellinger. Like the Dodgers really don't have anyone on their roster because Chris Taylor is a free agent. Uh, obviously they're not giving up Mookie Betts, but. Now, would you do this? Would you do, uh, <laughs> would you do, so you, one year of Max Muncy for two years of Josh Hader? <laughs> I think I would. Muncy is making like eight and a half million dollars next year before he's a free agent again. See, that's that's a good question. And I, I was t- telling Bust this before you get on here. I would love to uh, – I think it makes sense once we drop this podcast to um, tweet out all these theoreticals and have our following uh, complain in the mentions and tell yeah. us idiots as well as vote on if they can do the trade or not. I think that would be fun, get the people going a little bit. Yeah, we can pick the best ones. I'm game. Yeah. I mean, Muncie's like a 35 home run – yeah, I mean, just you, you're spot on. He had 36 home runs. He was five, five war player, um, hit 250. Um, walks a ton. What was that? He walks a ton, too. He's on base all the time. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. OBP of 370. Um, he's, a, he's a really good player. Versatile. Uh, you know, he's listed as a first, second, third baseman. Um, so I don't know. It's uh, that's an interesting one that I didn't really think of before. It'd be be a swap two two years for one, but you never know. Um, and that's really all I had. I know. I mean, the the Giants were another one, but I I said Mike Mike Yastrzemski package, and I was like, eh, that one just looks kind of gross. I <laughs> wouldn't want to entertain that one. So it's kind of where I stand there. Cool. I think we did enough uh, Josh Hader tr- potential trade talks for tonight. Do you guys have any other ones that I'm missing or have any other ideas? So the DH is probably going to be a lock for the NL, right? Yeah. I would say that's pretty much a, the one thing out of the new CBA whenever that gets figured out uh, is pretty much a lock. Nelson Cruz. What are you talking about free, For free agent yeah. signing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's I would, I'd be in. <laughs> that's fair. Um, I think Nick Castellanos is probably the one name to watch this offseason in terms of big bats that we could potentially sign. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. They they keep talking about the Bruce payroll next year, and I fucking hate that we're to this point in the off or the year already where we're talking about yeah. Bruce payroll. Um, but if Nick, if they can get Nick Cassianos for like three to four years, uh, for like eighteen to twenty per, with Kane and JBJ's contract coming off the books next year, Avi's contract coming off the books this year, they should easily do that. Yeah, I agree with that. And to to be honest, we spent so much time on 
um, Josh Hader potential trades and the recap of the Brewers NLDS. Um, I think if you guys don't mind, let's table the free agent talk to next week. Um, we'll have some content there next week. Uh, I guess, and I'll let Mitch L take over here to kind of close out this pod. Um, but uh, down on the farm, uh, Arizona Fall League edition. Uh, do you have any any comments about what the hell Joey Weimer is doing down there? Um, so he can't get out. Um, he literally cannot get out. Um, Bus mentioned today that he talked about making uh, adjustment to his timing uh, over the course of the year, and it seems like he is now not only continuing to hit the ball extremely hard, he has dropped his K percentage a little bit. Um, I think he's hitting over 500 in the Arizona Fall League. Uh, which is pretty much all of the entire league's best prospects. Um, he is he is hitting some baseballs. They posted a video a couple nights ago, and it was one of those where I had my AirPods in, and my ears were ringing from the noise of the bat. Um, so he's kind of been that prospect for us where we're like all like worried that as he climbs up, his swing and his mechanics is going to get more and more exposed. Um, but he just continues to hit everywhere he goes. Um, so I'm growing more and more confident in him. And like you said, this could be either a trade chip or uh, a future, future piece for us. Yeah. Uh, future 33 guy. Or he's just our four hitter next year. Comes <laughs> <laughs> what a rise that would be. I mean, dude, our organization, I, we've been, we've been banging this drum for most of the season too, but um, screw all of the, the MLB.com and baseball America rankings that had us as a bottom tier farm system in baseball. Um, you know, when I, when I can count 10 guys that I'm legitimately excited about and, um, you know, I think our farm is just fine and we will consistently outperform our ranking in those farm system rankings. Seems like we've been doing that across the board, not just farm system, but our MLB performance too. We always yeah. are like every year it's like Brewers will win eh, 80 games, 81, 82. Every oh, single yeah. year we outperform all of the data that scouts and the professionals say about us. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, Cool. Well, hopefully we gave, uh, we gave the listeners some, some fun Josh Hader, trade conversation and topics and proposals. Um, I think next week we can talk more about, uh, you know, the potential uh, CBA agreement and uh, the off season drama that will probably ensue um, a potential lockout along as well as this year's free agent class. Um, you know, the brewers that are going to be free agents, what we think the roster will look like next year. Um, well, so we'll have plenty to talk about next week as well. Uh, Either of you two have uh, any final thoughts before we cut this episode? I think I'm finally no longer depressed. This is good for uh, my closure. Now I'm, I'm ready to go. Yeah, I've just buried my head into Bucks basketball, and um, thankfully the Packers are on a nice little winning streak. But uh, I've, I've tried to stay busy. Like you said, I'm in the same boat as you, boss. I, I just can't get up for these postseason games once the Brewers get eliminated. Um, I'm a poor sport. I have a small brain. Um, so when you say baseball doesn't exist right now or something. Yeah. Yeah. And Mitch, Mitch is the diehard over there. He's, 
he's watching and analyzing every pitch and he's like trying to spark up the chat at times. And I'm like, just shut up. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Not, not shut up. No, you try to talk to us and I'm like, I genuinely don't know what you're talking about. I'll just start texting myself. <laughs> oh man. You got anything down to the off before, uh, before we're done here? No, I mean, um, I just kind of want to wrap it back to what I started and for our listeners out there that are all disappointed with the, the way the year was. I think uh, we echo those feelings, but um, don't give hope, up hope on this organization. Uh, Stearns really has built an empire and uh, that whole saying about bites at the apple. Guess what? We're eating a big fucking juicy Granny Smith apple and we're taking a lot of bites. And on that note, um, to the to the Brewers winning the 2022 World Series, fellas, have a good night and let's cook. Let's cook. Let's cook, fellas.